It is September 3rd, 2019. This is episode 11 of Rooster Tail Talk. I'm your host, David Newton. And today you get to listen in on the interview I have with Andrew Tate, the 2018 National High Point and Gold Cup champion. He is a driver of the U1 Delta Rail Track. And I talked with him Thursday of Seafair, right down in the pits. Uh, just a little warning, there's going to be some background noise from everyone setting up. All the all the boats were down there, Everyone, all the crews are working, getting everything ready for the race, as well as the officials and the staffing for Seafair. I believe at one point we had to pause because an ice cream truck uh, drove through the pits. <laughs> so it caused some, uh, some pretty good background noise. Um, but I had a great talk with Andrew. He is a very talented driver with a deep family history of boat racing. So sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. Well, it's Thursday of Seafair weekend. I'm sitting in the media center overlooking the pits with Andrew Tate. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm great. Happy to be here. Excellent. So I understand since Tri-Cities, um, you've been relaxing this week on vacation. Uh, how has Seattle treated you? I actually I could live here. Yeah. I, I love the area, the people. Um, the weather has been absolutely wonderful this week. So everything about Seattle and the Pacific North Northwest has been a great experience for me. You know, this is my my four or five days in between Tri Cities and Seattle to relax and get away from the real world. So it's great. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Well, I know you've been around boats for a long time. Um, but not all the fans may know kind of your background and racing history. Uh, could you give uh, the fans out there uh, just a little information how you started racing and what led you um, to racing Unlimited here the last few years? Well, I've mostly been an outboard guy. Uh, I grew up, I started in J-Hydro when I was 11 years old. And you can start racing J-Hydros when you're 9 years old. Um, but I have a brother who's two years younger than me. So <laughs> my, my parents obviously didn't want to get me going too soon. We waited for, uh, for my brother to reach the nine-year-old mark, and I was 11 at the time. So I would race on Saturdays, and he would race on Sundays with the J-Hydro where we kind of split seat time. And, and that's, that's where I started. Uh, my first race was in Trenton, Michigan, and had a lot to learn starting starting out there. He, you start as a Mark Tate's son, the limited <laughs> driver, and yeah. you show up in the pits yeah. and you think, kind of watch other boats or classes go around and oh, this is easy. They're going slow. I can do this. It's man, I had a well. It's it's really competitive <laughs> outboards. Yeah, right? it's, it's yeah. a super super competitive yeah. field. Super competitive and super humbling. Yeah. Um, I by no means was where I was at in my head when I started, so yeah. it was uh, a great experience. Um, I've raced outboards throughout my career, unfortunately. Some of the bigger boats, inboards, and the Unlimiteds take, take precedence as I've gotten older, so I don't do it as much, but um, it's, it's still a great thing to do. I um, started racing inboards in 2011. I started driving two and a half mods for the English family out of Louisiana. It was a John, John Stoddicker um, wooden hull, didn't have a canard wing, but still very, very fast equipment and it was a great family to drive for. Um, I think going from the outboards to the inboards, 
there's a lot of people in the outboard category that might not get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My last name and some of my family connections obviously had a little bit to do with that. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, I raced for the English family up until through 2017. We ended up going Grand Prix racing after four years of just driving the two and a half mod. And I had never driven a boat with a canard wing uh, up until a, the Grand Prix class. Oh, okay, really? Okay. John Sodegard is not a big fan of canard wings, so <laughs> he built boats and set boats up to run without them. Something different, I guess, but um, got in the Grand Prix in 2015 out on the East Coast with the English family and, and raced for them. Up until the past couple of seasons now, I've been involved with Hearn Motorsports and my dad's kind of been overseeing that program and that's been a little bit of a struggle but um, 2015 I had a great year with the Grand Prix team and the English family had the chance to win our first race in Tonawanda and and, uh, I guess some people might have taken note Uh, the next year I received the opportunity to come drive for the Jones family and Jeff and Mike Campbell kind of sought me out so it's a lot of uh, personal relationships that, that that might have had something to do with me getting here. Um, a little bit of talent and a lot of luck, I'm sure, but yeah. that's more or less how it all happened. Yeah. Well, I know you have the name Tate. Everyone knows Mark Tate, so you do have that legacy, like, as you said, but I really believe your talent really got you where you are and continued to, to have you in your seat. Last year, you were a national champion, uh, won the Gold Cup, won other races around the circuit, won here last year. Um, but one thing I've really noticed with you, you were, you've really shown your talents at flying the hull. Like you, you fly the boat um, every race I've seen you at. Uh, you keep around the edge, but you maintain your safety and the speed. Um, is that something that's come really natural to you over the years? I, mean, I was surprised to hear that you first time having Canard was when you entered Grand Prix. So it, it seems like you've been doing this for a long time. But is this something someone helps you out with, or is just natural talent to be able to fly the boat so easily? As easily as a spectator can see, at least. I yeah. know it's not easy. It's, it's, you know, the seat of your pants is kind of the greatest asset when you get into a boat with as much weight and power behind it as a Grand Prix or an unlimited hydroplane. Um, I obviously have had my father throughout my racing career in my corner, able to coach me and answer questions and I always give input and feedback, which is been very very beneficial to success and and, and adapting to different classes and understanding what the boat's going to do and if you change something what is it going to change with within the boat ride or your top speed or cornering ability whatever it might be i i think the u9 or the u1 now originally the u9 is is set up to fly Uh, that is when this boat is happiest it's 27 year old boat it's a little narrower than most of the other ones on the circuit it's it's got some nuances or characteristic traits that that other boats might not have Um, but I truly believe that that more or less the boat and the way it's been set up is fit I guess with me more or less me coming in and being able to adapt to the boat it's the only unlimited I've ever driven uh, it's all I know up until this point. So, you know, it, the seat of your pants and, and 
what you're feeling on the steering wheel and then reading the water and what's coming up in front of you, it all kind of plays into what you're doing and how you're driving the boat. But I know 2015 when I was, I had first started driving the Grand Prix, I think it was a leased boat. So the city of Valleyfield actually owned it. Okay. And there was a lot of people that were worried. Well, it was twofold. I think there was people who were worried I was gonna go out there and kill myself or hurt the boat. And then there was the other people that said, oh, you know, he's only here because of who he is and where he came from. So halfway through the season when we were in Tonawana to go out there and, and, and get a wind and, and fly the boat over the Niagara River and, and beat guys like Bert Henderson or Ken Brody or Marty Wolf, Brandon Kennedy. I mean, that was probably one of my proudest moments. It was like, okay. yeah, not only did at that point did I realize that I could do this, but I think it was kind of like a welcoming, welcoming party to some extent where some of the critics might have closed their mouths and oh definitely yeah. all the other people who may have believed in me kind definitely. of kind of felt that pridefulness or like yeah we told you guys kind of deal so yeah. that was cool yeah well very impressive well you, you've impressed a lot of people so far in your time in the hydroplanes um I, I gotta ask i don't know how old you are but is are you or is the boat the jones boat holder i have, uh, a, I have <laughs> a feeling the boat's holder but uh the boat is two years younger than me. Okay, all right. I so, thought it was the other way around. But yeah, right. <laughs> we're uh, I'm starting to get some gray hairs if that says anything about how old the boat is. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, as we said before, everyone knows Mark Tate, your father, um, and you've been around boats for a long time, so I know you have a lot of favorite memories. Uh, maybe not just racing yourself, but just being around the boats and seeing your father race. Uh, do you have one or two that stick out in your mind being a kid? seeing the sport unfold for you? Honestly, as a little kid, I probably didn't appreciate everything that was going on around me racing-wise to the extent that I should have. Um, but that's natural for most kids. Right? Yeah. I, th I think they don't appreciate what's really happening in front of them. To, to some extent, um, I think I was a little more interested in going to play in the bounce house and climb the rock wall and race the remote control NASCARs that they used to have in Detroit. Um, then if if I were to reflect back upon where my head was at compared to where Carson Kelly's head's, head's at, J. Michael's son. Yeah, yeah. Because he is all over it. Oh, yeah. He is a boat racing freak. Yeah. Um, and I think he's going to be a household name here come another <laughs> 10, 15 years. But, but um, favorite memories, you know, Tri-Cities, one of my big things when I'd show up to Tri-Cities or even Seattle here was there was always a guy who had little wooden hydroplanes mm -hmm. and some of them were painted like replicas of the boats that were racing or boats the years past or just weird random colors and I'd always look forward to coming out here as a little kid. Yeah. So coming out to Tri-Cities in Seattle to, to I look forward to it because I'd always be able to come home with a new toy. Oh yeah. A new oh, little yeah. little wooden boat to play with. And in those days I always had a Winston Eagle boat, my dad's, or a smoking Joe boat, um, of my father's. Um, and then there'd always be a, a Budweiser boat that we would have too. But 
that boat somehow just never had the rear wing or was <laughs> scraped scraped up and had paints paint missing because I'd be in the in the motorhome or the truck playing with them and oh smoking Joe's and Budweiser are going into the first turn and there goes the Budweiser and I chuck it over my shoulder just I had that's a terrible thing to say obviously you never want to see anyone get hurt but as no, a but four five six year old you right. know the, the big red boat that always won was the bad guy right so, exactly yeah you, um that is a, a a distinct memory for sure Play, yeah. playing with the little wooden boats or tying it behind the big wheel i had a little tricycle oh, okay. that we ride around the pits and yeah. we tie the plastic ones behind the boat and me and my brother would race around in circles and yeah you know that was a great time as well so that's very fun whenever the boats would start and we'd hear the boats entering the race course um we'd just get up off the bikes and leave them wherever they were in the pits and we'd run to the shore so we could go watch. So we were always involved with the racing, but we always had a great time just being here and, and kind of living in our own world or our own little kid, imagine it, yeah. legendary world yeah. and, and uh, yeah. having our own fun with it. Yeah, well, it's very cool. Well, that's a memory I had as well growing up as a kid. And I had um, Brian Anderson is the name of the fellow. He, yeah. he built him out here. He still does that today. He still brings them out and sells them on the shorelines there but I had a Winston Eagle uh, lobster boat so not not your father's but that was a Jim Cropfeld Winston Eagle and I would push it around and it would crash and there was glue marks all up, up the wings and stuff so it probably uh, worked better than the real one. It, oh, it did it did it, uh, it floated really well on the carpet floor I had so. there you go <laughs> all right well um, this this past year you've had a transition in your team uh, last year you had a phenomenal year winning the gold cup uh, national championship um, and some other races uh, but your your crew members, um, well, your crew chief Jeff Campbell and his brother Mike Campbell, retired from racing. Uh, so I know you've had a transition uh, year um, as far as the crew crew members go. How has that gone for yourself and for the team? Honestly, I think it's gone really well. Uh, Jeff and Mike Campbell can and never will be replaced. I mean, they were on the Budweiser team, Miller American. They, there's so much knowledge and so much passion and experience. You'll never replace that. Um, they've built a hell of a race boat, rebuilt a hell of a race boat, and continue to improve a hell of a race boat here with Jones Racing. Um, and the people that, that are around the team still in 2019 are people who have studied and been around Jeff and Mike. Yeah. So a lot of that knowledge and experience has been passed down, not only to them, but to me. I mean, now I'm in the truck looking at the data and, and different numbers and maybe ways we can change the boat um, and giving my feedback. And they may not be at the races, but I was on the phone with Jeff last weekend in Tri-Cities, you know, the yeah. boat's doing this, this is where we're at. In my opinion, we can do option A, B, or C. I think A is our best, here's why B is this, and I, and I can talk through what I'm feeling and, and what the boat's doing and where we're at and how we can improve. And Jeff's always made himself available to, to help me and help guide me. So they're not necessarily here um, giving 100% of the direction or focus of, of what we're doing, but they're still around. That's good they, to hear. They're, uh, they're not gone, that's yeah. for sure. I think uh, tonight I'll go home 
and I talked to Seth Parshall, who was mostly in the truck and on the computer in years past and, and looking at the data and, and dissecting that and understanding that. But he has always been very inquisitive and, and always curious about what Jeff is doing or what Mike is doing and why they're doing it. Okay. So okay. I don't think we've really lost a step. I think we've maintained and now we're all gaining first-hand experience. So, you know, come next year or the year after, whatever it might be, the only way to keep going year in and year out is to pass that knowledge down and, and to allow other people to gain that experience. Yeah. So in the long run, I think Jeff and Mike taking a step back was one, what they needed to do. They've done this their whole lives. Um, they need some time to themselves to go enjoy maybe some of the other things or hang out at home on the weekend with, with their wives and, and, oh, definitely, and definitely. Uh, enjoy some of the other aspects of life. We all do. Yeah. But with Seth and Brian Gibb and Mark Bissett, I mean, Tom Alfano, the guys that have stepped up and been a part of our team this year, Giving them that first-hand experience and that first-hand knowledge is, is in the long run going to benefit not only the U9 or the U1 team this year, but but the sport as a whole. Yeah. Well, it shows two things to me how fantastic your crew is, that they are able to apply their knowledge that was taught and, and their own knowledge to maintain the team and, and keep it a front-runner, but also it shows how good of a teachers Mike and Jeff Campbell were, that they can step away and the, they're... I don't want to say protégés, but the people that were surrounding them can apply their knowledge and apply their own uh, taste to it and keep uh, the team as a front runner. Yeah. Jeff and Mike had their own way of teaching. Um, and between the two of them, they were, they're very different people, but they had their own way. And to know that they're still there is huge. Yeah. So I can't thank them enough yeah. for, for what they've done for me and the Jones and the sport. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, another thing I want to talk about from last year, you won the Gold Cup, your first Gold Cup. and this, I think it's very uh, symbolic or meaningful because it's something you share with your father. Um, how was it to win it in Detroit, your hometown, and have your father share that experience with you? It was very special. Um, and I think taking a step back and looking back at, at what we accomplished as a team and, and as a family uh, you know I'm very proud of it but I'm more happy of that success and that accomplishment for my grandmother my father my mother my brother you know people that that I've been surrounded with my whole life that you know, they've made sacrifices to even make that a possibility. It, without them, it definitely wouldn't be possible. You know, my mom, my mom spent her life making my life as easy as it could be. Right. You know, and I think a lot of people could go back and look and say that about their mothers. Um, but to see how happy they were when we were standing next to the trophy taking pictures, it was special. And you know, when I came back to the dock, it was 
almost like another boat race. That's how I, how I look at the boat race before I go out there. You know, it's the okay. Gold Cup, right? The biggest race of your life, but it's just another boat race. You have to do everything the same. You can't change anything. Okay, the results worked out. You know, you brought it home. You won. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. As a competitor and as a driver, that's where my mindset is. You know, you're supposed to go out there and do the best you can with the equipment you have. And I think we had a Gold Cup winning boat last year, this year, the year previously, but last year was when we put it all together. Um, so to see the crew and and my family was when it all hit. You come back to the dock and you're excited, obviously, because you did your job. Yeah. <laughs> but then to see their faces and how much it meant to them is is truly what what made it a big deal. Um, and to me, all I've ever really known besides the one year where, well, in my adult life at least, the one year they ran in Tri-Cities for the Gold Cup, but Detroit has always been the Gold Cup as far as I'm concerned. Nothing against Tri-Cities and when they had it the one year, or Madison when, when we raced there this year, but that's just what I've always known. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, it's great to have other venues host, but to win it in Detroit was the icing on the cake. Yeah. Friends, family, uh, hometown. It was it was special for all of us. Yeah. yeah, it's a special time in your life you'll probably always cherish and remember. So it sounds like your family is super supportive of the decisions you made to enter racing and continue. Um, is that, has that always been that case? For sure. Uh, fourth generation boat racer. Great grandfather started racing in the 30s, I believe. Um, my uncle Casey, my grandfather Joe, my father Mark, and then also my mother Sandy who raced 145s out in California and all over the country. Wow. She's originally from California. That's how she met my father was boat racing. So I think if you look at it, I was born into it and more or less bred to do this. So um, their understanding with, with, with where my mindset's at and, and why I love this that obviously is very easy for them to see um, and I think everyone in the pits uh, whether they're a first, second or third generation boat racer, fourth, you know, you name it they have to have a supporting cast that allows them to go do this week in or week out oh for sure, so for sure. when we're in the pits we're all one big family more or less we might be pissed off at each other or you know depending on what happens out on the race course week in and week out. But we all have a certain respect for each other and, and allow each other to compete at a high level, do this together. Awesome. All right, well, we talked about some serious stuff. Let's talk about some not as serious things. Uh, one question I've been asking all of the drivers uh, I've interviewed so far is if they were to play a theme song as you enter the course, you got in your boat, you just got on the water, they played a theme song, uh, similar to what they do in baseball. So I'm sure if you went to a Detroit Tigers game, that they, as the batters come out, they play a theme song. What would your theme song be as the Jones Racing went on the course? Well, last year we were able to pick a song um, to where they would play over the PA in Detroit, or if we won and came by in the Corvette and waved to the crowd, they'd play it. Okay. I chose My Way by Frank Sinatra, uh, okay. more or less as a salute to my grandfather. Frank was his artist, uh, 
and that was his favorite song. He had a boat named My Way. So for for the family to hear that song and watch me drive by in the Corvette was pretty cool. It was emotional. My oh, mom yeah. walked up to me and gave me a big hug yeah. and she was all excited and you know, it's like, all right, mom, you need to go away before I start crying in front of all these people. But yeah. it was cool. Um, if I had to pick another song, yeah, so if I had to pick something that wasn't super sentimental to me and had a lot of meaning to me and my family, um, and I just had to look at it from a personal standpoint, there's a song by J. Roddy Walston in the business called The Brave Man's Death. And the chorus essentially of the song is, I don't want to die in the middle of the night, I want a brave man's death. So, if I had to listen to a song before I got into the boat, that's what I'm listening to. Right. Um, I don't have, at this time, a wife or kids. Uh, I just have to look at myself in the mirror and, and okay, you know, we're doing something dangerous here. We're going out there and we're gonna put it on the line and we're gonna give it everything we have. Obviously, you never hope for the worst, but right. at the same right. time, you have to recognize that what we do is dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Things happen, yeah. people get hurt, um, but this is what I know, this is what I love, this is the pinnacle of what I could be doing. Right. Um, so, in order to do that to the best of my ability, everything else is out the window, it's me and the machine and my competitors, Let's drop the mitts and go out of here. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, I like your I like your song selections. Uh, I'm not sure who I need to talk to to get that done, but I think that'd be uh, fun for the fans to hear those songs. Yeah, for sure. Around, so. If you know, let me know. How about that? Right on. <laughs> um, another game I, I want to start playing is um, I don't know if you're in college days or played uh, who you would uh, you'd f marry or kill. Yeah, marry or kill. Yeah, I'll, I'll play the, the hydroplane version. I'll give you three drivers' name, and we're not gonna consider those options but I would say if you could choose <laughs> who would be your crew chief your radio spotter and who you would race against so I'm thinking Chip Hanauer Mark Tate and Steve David so who would you be your crew chief radio spotter and who would you race against you know this is tough someone <laughs> actually asked me last weekend okay straight up if you had even boats and you went out there who would win you or your dad just kind of took a step back and my eyes got a little big and it was like oh man I don't know if you ask my dad it'd for sure be him um, but with that being said I'm going to go with Mark Tate as my crew chief on the premise that I grew up driving outboards for him uh, yeah. I'm currently yeah. driving a Grand Prix for him and I know what I'm getting with him as far as boat setup, uh, feedback, knowledge base, and I know he's worked very, very closely with, with Jim Lucero and Mike Hansen um, to, to get that understanding of, of the boats and, and setups. So my dad is not the most cultured person in the world or the smartest guy in the world, but there's two things that he is absolutely 100% usually dead nuts on with, and that's the coding business, Teflon floor polymer coatings, which we do back home, and uh, setting up race boats. Yeah. 
he sees things from the shore that it's like, man, yeah, it's exactly what the boat's doing. Yeah. You're, you're half a mile away telling me what the boat's doing. It's like, yeah, you're right. So I know what I'm getting there. Not only, not always the easiest person to drive for by any means, but, but I know what I'm getting. Um, radio spotter. Yeah, so would you have Chip Hanauer or Steve David be a radio spotter? And then you got to race the other person. Steve David always gave great speeches. Okay. And okay. was always able to appease sponsors and crowds. Yeah. I think I'd put him on my radios just for his communication yeah. skills. Yeah. Right. Um, I know for a fact what he brings to the table there. And he's won a lot of boat races, so he obviously understands what his competitors are doing and oh, what's yeah. going on around him. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that gets a little easier for me than trying to figure out what my dad would do. <laughs> um, so then you got to race against Chip then? I would absolutely love the chance to race against Chip Hanauer. I think that would be great. Yeah. Um, growing up, he raced against my father, and I got to watch those two have great, great oh, yeah. battles. Oh, yeah. Um, Typically, the red boat came out on top, but but there was always... Not always, though. Mark, yeah. Mark had him every once in a while. Oh, For yeah. sure. Um, always pushing him, always giving him a race. And, you know, Chip has very... He has a very similar background, I think, to, to where he came from boat racing-wise, starting in the outboards and growing up in the limited hydroplanes and, and then getting into the Unlimiteds at a relatively young age and having some sort of immediate immediate success. So, yeah. you know, he was somewhat to my father's dismay, also my, my favorite driver as a kid. So to be able to have the opportunity to race against him yeah. would be something special for me. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Well, I know a lot of uh, athletes, uh, it's not just high open racers, but athletes in different sports are superstitious. Um, and that, that is something I've seen typical in hydroplane racing. Jim Cropfield always had to chew some ice before he went in the field. Uh, crew members hated seeing watermelons. I don't know if you ever heard about the watermelon thing. Yeah, um, we, but, but we you, had that. Yeah? Okay. I don't, not me personally, but the Campbell's no watermelon yep, allowed yep, all weekend. Yeah, yep, not, not around the campsite. No. So do you have any uh, personal like routines or superstitions that you carry? Something to bring you good luck? Uh, I think I pull my hair out. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> Nothing particular. Um, I do like 20 minutes, 15 minutes, half hour, whatever it might be, whenever I can get away, you know, I'll, I'll disappear. I'll go sit somewhere by myself. I'll usually put my elbows in my lap and my hands on my forehead. And for whatever reason, I have no idea, but just start thinking about what I'm gonna do when I'm out there, where I need to be, who I'm racing against. And you start to visualize yourself on the yeah. race course, yeah. uh, almost like a Zen meditation type deal. You know, I'm not all that spiritual, <laughs> but but no, nothing in particular. I do have the terrible habit of chewing tobacco. Um, I don't know if we should edit this out or not. <laughs> um, how many people want to know about that, or might go down a couple notches in a couple people's book, but. It started with hockey. It was the cool thing to do. I played junior hockey, and it was more of a get your skates on, get your, your pants and your shin pads, you know, you're halfway dressed, and then it's the same thing. 
uh, Grizzly Wintergreen goes in and, and my head goes into my hands, the palm of my hands, and I'm thinking about what I'm doing when I go out there. It's more or less a relaxing, disappear from the rest of the locker room and not talk to the guys and joke around like, like some guys might or get too serious like some guys might, but that's how that started. So between the two, now I just like to be left alone and, yeah. and not have to have any outside interference, I guess, and get in my own head and worry about myself. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Well, the H1 Tour is, is a bit shorter now. There's only five races this year. Um, there's a lot of race courses that we used to see on there. Um, is there one in particular that you wish you could race on, you can go to? I know there's a lot of them we could name out, but uh, is there any in your mind that you wish you could, could race on? All of them. <laughs> the more the merrier. Yeah. Um, I've heard great things about Kelowna, the, the race site, the party, the people, um, the water itself, the race course. I, I've heard great things. I've never personally been, but that would be something cool. I've never been to Hawaii, maybe as a baby when my dad was there, but yeah. I don't personally remember it. Um, I would have picked that just for the trip itself. Yeah, it would be great to go to Hawaii and race in Pearl Harbor there. And and uh, historical meaning, more or less. I'm a big history buff, so I think that would be cool. Evansville, great race course. Um, a lot of history there as well. You know, all of them. But like I said, I, five races isn't enough. I think yeah. the more we can do this kind of stuff and, and get together and talk about the great things in the sport and, and uh, hopefully attract some interest, I think I'm down for wherever you want to go. Yeah. Washington, D.C., racing for the President's oh, yeah. Cup. Getting yeah. to shake the President's hand after you won the President's Cup. Oh, yeah. You know, great honor. That would be something extremely special. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because I have outboard friends there that oh. that haven't had the chance to see Unlimiteds, and to go there and race in Milwaukee would be cool. Yeah. Um, you know, Miami Marine Stadium, another place that that has a great boat racing history, and and a lot of cool things have happened down there. Not only for boat racing, but just having the stadium there and doing the concerts. I mean. Yeah. Elvis Presley did a movie down there. Yeah. He, Elvis raced right. flat bottoms. I don't know if anyone <laughs> knew that. Go go watch a movie called Clambake. It's corny as all hell. But Elvis was a boat racer yeah. at one point. Yeah. So, I mean, just, there's a lot of places. There's yeah. a lot of history. It's a great sport and so many great stories behind different race sites. Yeah. So, the more the merrier, well, like I said. And hopefully we can get back to some of those in the near future, right? That'll be great for a lot of fans and uh, great for the racing community. Um, well, before I let you go, I know you got stuff to do to prepare for the weekend. Do you have any um, advice for drivers hoping to get into the sport and get further their careers into hydroplane racing? Advice? Be nice to everyone. Be nice. I mean, boat racing more than ever is a very small community and to be empathetic and and understand people's situations uh, compared to your own or 
you know, if you get hacked off in the first turn, your first instinct more than anything might be to, you know, go bump into the guy or give him the middle finger and inspection or tell him all about how bad he sucks. So don't watch NASCAR then. Right. I mean, <laughs> everything you do, someone is going to see. And that someone knows someone who could potentially help you at some point if it's not that person who's watching you at that time. Um, we're all a family here, like I said earlier, and everything that happens is taken note of, no matter how big or how small. Just be very mindful of that and get good starts. Keep your head down, go testing, keep learning, ask questions. I mean, it's no different than anything else in life. Use your resources, the people around you, and, and continue to grow. Every time you get in the boat, see, time in boat racing is so invaluable. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Like you said, we have five races. You run, let's say, four to five heats a weekend, depending on where you're at. I'm in this boat 25 to 30 times a year. Yeah. So every time you get in that boat, it's telling you something. Whether it's good, bad, indifferent, that boat is talking to you. And you need to listen to it more than anything to understand not only how to drive it at that current moment, but how to make it better when you come into the shore. How to give feedback to people that are helping you, whether it's the prop guy or the engine guy, or if you're there with your trailer on top of your van, to sit down at the end of the day and understand what you did out there and, and how to get better. Yeah. I could go on, I'm sure, but, um, you know, be nice. Be nice. That's, that's a great message. That's a great message. Be nice. Have fun. Have fun. Well, you're, you're young into your unlimited career here, and you've already made a, a big splash with all your victories and, and national championship last year. What's your goal, your long-term goal for racing unlimiteds? Have you already accomplished all, your, all you wanted to do, and you still have more you want to do with it? There's... That's a tough question. That's a good question. I'd like to go wherever the sport will allow me to go. I think, like I said, I'm a history buff. So if I look back at names like Steve David, Dave Vilwalk, Mark Tate, Chip Hanauer, and then back to Bill Muncie, and I, it goes on, and I know I miss people who who are people's favorites or who people think are the greatest. But oh, we could save twenty minutes, and we yeah, still miss them. Yeah, There's for so sure. Many names. <clears throat> the things that they may or may not have accomplished in their careers at this point, with where we're at right now, may or may not. I'll let you guys be the decider. That have to be measured with a different stick, a little bit differently. Um, not only with the amount of races, um, but also the amount of competition, the amount of things they had to do outside of the boat with sponsors and, and the PR stuff. It, it's a little bit of a different atmosphere nowadays. Um, so if I was to sit here and tell you, well, I want to be the greatest ever. I think Jimmy Shane's already, and Jimmy O'Kelly already have a head start on me there. Um, if we were going to use the same measuring stick compared historically. Um, you know, I don't know that 
we can make those comparisons. Like, I, I, that's a tough question. And, you know, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth and piss people <laughs> off. But I enjoy the racing aspect of it. And there's, we all have day jobs. We're all making sacrifices to be here and to do this. Um, man, I don't know where to go from there. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It, there's days where sometimes Seastock Hydro is, is just as fun as, as what I'm doing now. Right. And that is by no means trying to discredit the talent or, or the competition of what's going here. But sometimes being able to just show up Friday night with your boat and your truck and trailer and set it up at 8 in the morning the next day by yourself and going out there and racing against 20 guys is a different angle of fun, I guess. Oh, a yeah. different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I'd always like to be involved in the sport. To what level, I don't know. Unlimited hydroplanes are the pinnacle of what we're doing. Whether or not I'm always going to be at the pinnacle, I don't know. So I don't really know how to answer your right. question. Well, I can see you around for, for quite a while at racing, so hopefully you don't go anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> how about that? Time will tell. <laughs> Time will tell. All right. All right, well, you got to repeat this year. You're, you're the, the top dog, right? You're, you're one last year, and I wish you luck this weekend, and I hope you stay safe. And yeah, I love Seafair. Yeah. I love being here. I've, I've mentioned the history a ton, I know, but it's, it's a special place. And actually, I love the race course. I know some of the other drivers might say it's not their favorite place to race, but it's a short race course. It's a symmetrical race course. The water is super unforgiving. And yeah. just the atmosphere with the people and the air show and everything going on. The whole city's involved. So thanks for the luck. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that to hear you like it because I think every interview I saw of your father here in Seattle said he hated the course because it was so rough. And it was almost undrivable. So we're glad to have you here, Andrew, and good luck this weekend and, and be safe. Hey, thanks everyone for their support and listening to the show. And uh, go you one slash nine Delta Real Track. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening in to my interview with Andrew Tate in our 11th episode of Richtail Talk. I really enjoyed talking with him and learning more about his racing career. He's a fantastic driver with a great future ahead of himself, and I can't see, wait to see where it takes him. Make sure you check back with us next week as our next episode will be released Tuesday, September 10th at 5 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast player as well as rate and review your experience. For more updates and Hydro News, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Roostertail Talk is also online with our new website, www.roostertailtalk.com. On the website, you can sign up for an email subscription list to get notifications on upcoming episodes, Hydro News, podcast updates, and much, much more. Finally, this is a free podcast to all of our listeners, but if you're really enjoying your experience listening to Rochelle Talk and want to help us to continue to grow and expand our content, please donate. You can find a link to donate through PayPal on our website under the support tab. So until next time, I hope to see you at the races.